You're listening to the Full and Thriving Podcast, a place where courageous women come to break free from food obsession, heal their relationship with their body, and strive to live a life that's present, lighthearted, and meaningful. If you're listening, my wish is that this podcast serves as a catalyst that inspires you to nourish your body, nurture your mind, and energize your spirit. I'm your host, Meg McCabe, a certified life coach and eating disorder recovery coach with a PhD in having a good time. Just kidding about that last part. Anyway, thank you so much for listening and enjoy the show. Hello, hello, everyone. Welcome to another solo show of the Full and Thriving Podcast. I am so grateful to be with all of you today, and I hope you are all having a glorious summer. I can't believe it's August already. My summer is seriously going by so fast, and that is sad for me because I am a summer lover for sure. Put me by the ocean, put me on the beach, put me outside camping. I just love everything about summer. So whenever August hits, I get a little sad because that means summer's ending, but then we have the fall, which is my other favorite season. So we're set for a while. Anyway, I wanted to officially announce that my first niece was born on July 27th, just a few weeks ago, and her name is Nora Wynn. And I was there in the hospital for the entire birth process, and it was so beautiful. And also really eye-opening. I did not realize how intense the birth process was till I saw my twin sister going through it. But it was so awesome to meet little Nora, especially when she came out of the womb. And to our surprise, she had a lot of dark hair and she has blue eyes and a really, really, really adorable voice. She's so vocal already, which is really cute. I think one of the most incredible parts about meeting Nora was seeing my twin sister immediately step into being a mom, and she was such a good mom, and it was really moving to see her talking to Nora and interacting with her, and I just loved watching her become the mom I always knew she could be. And I just think that holding a little newborn is such a grounding experience. I had never been around a human that had just been born. And I got to tell you, the newborn smell is a real thing. I loved hearing her cute noises and watching her facial expressions. And, you know, Katie and her husband, Tig, they are so blessed and they've blessed our entire family with this little human I can't wait to have in my life. And I feel like Nora has already expanded my heart beyond what I felt was possible. So my heart is full of so much happiness right now. I cannot believe it. And honestly, speaking of happiness, it's been one of those when it rains, it pours scenarios of so many positive things in life. As you guys heard in one of my recent solo shows is that Dan and I are engaged now and we are soaking up that joy of being together. And I'm so grateful for him. And when we got back from Europe a few weeks ago, 
we started actively searching for houses in the Connecticut area because we're just so excited to have a home together. And to our surprise, our first offer got accepted, which we were not expecting at all. We were thinking this process was going to be a dreadful six months to a year. That's what we've heard from everybody because the housing market in the U.S. is so competitive right now. But we got really lucky with selecting a realtor who was well-connected in the area. And honestly, we didn't put a ton of effort into finding this realtor. It was just we met him at an open house, and he happened to be extremely connected and amazing at his job. So it looks like we are officially closing on our first home at the end of August. I haven't shared this with anybody yet besides my friends and family, but it is a super cute New England cape and it has this amazing fenced in backyard. I am obsessed with outdoor space. So that is my most favorite part of the house. And it's truly the perfect starter home for us. I'm just amazed with how life is shaping up for me right now. And you know, life is good. And I just want to remind all of you that if you took me back to 2020, 2021, even further back than that, maybe even 2018, I was stuck in a very stagnant place in my life where I was in a relationship that I wasn't truly happy in and we were not making any forward progress in life. And Being stuck doesn't feel good at all, especially when you know what you want. And what I have always wanted is to find the love of my life, you know, enthusiastically agree to marry each other, get that home that we love and start having a family. And it's funny, I was like in hell waiting for something to happen that wasn't right for so long. And then, you know, Less than a year ago, Dan and I met. So this time last year, I didn't even know this was all about to happen in my life. And I think all of this is truly a sign that when you're ready, positive change can happen quickly for you. And like I said, this time last year, I hadn't reconnected with Dan And I just want you to remember that your life can change for the better in an instant. And I believe that for you and your personal life and your recovery journey. You can have periods of your recovery where you think nothing is happening and you're stuck. And then you hear someone say something to you that clicks or you bring up something in therapy or you challenge yourself in a new way. And that is the catalyst to making all the change you've ever imagined was possible. And suddenly you open your eyes and you're in a place that you don't even recognize, but it's a place you know you've always wanted to be. So I share these good things to inspire you because it truly can happen to you too. Okay, anyway. Today, I want to share with all of you eight ways that you can immediately start to heal your relationship with exercise. And as a reminder, everyone's recovery is different. And for many people, 
it is helpful to stop exercise altogether while recovering because it is so deeply tied to their eating disorder. So if you feel like you're exercising excessively and it's keeping you stuck in recovery, I think it's important that you bring this up to your recovery team and come up with a plan that works for you and your healing. And remember, it might involve not exercising for a period of time, or it might involve just cutting back a little bit. But whatever that looks like for you, I really want you to be honest with your team and come up with a plan to either let go of exercise temporarily or find a way to keep it connected to you in a safe way. All right, so let's dive in. So some of you might be wondering, why is exercise sometimes a problem in eating disorder recovery? And first of all, there are benefits to exercise. However, when you have an eating disorder, often the exercise becomes one of the eating disorder behaviors And that behavior can kind of become hijacked by the eating disorder to an extreme place where there's no longer balance or flexibility with movement. With eating disorders, many folks end up severely restricting their energy intake, meaning they are not getting enough calories that their body needs to function in a healthy way. And when you exercise, you are worsening that energy debt. And when your body doesn't have enough energy to function, it starts to shut down other systems of the body. So it's kind of like a giant corporation that's making budget cuts and the primary need for energy, all of that energy goes towards the heart health and the brain health and things like digestion the endocrine system, or the muscle repair, the hair, skin, and nails, the healing injuries, the immune system, all of that suffers because any ounce of energy your body is receiving goes straight towards keeping that heart functioning and that brain functioning. And just so you know, those start to wither away too if you're not getting the energy you need to maintain those functions. So like I said, exercise worsens this energy debt and puts your heart and brain and you at further risk. And not to mention exercise can put a lot of unnecessary stress on the body during a time where you need to be focused on resting, nourishing, and healing. And many people with eating disorders end up having low bone density, which means that when you're exercising, your risk to injury is just so much higher. You could fracture or break a bone more easily than that of a, quote, normal person because of the low bone density you have. And finally, exercise is one of the primary indicators of relapse for those discharged from treatment. So folks who have discharged from treatment, the folks who continue to rest and nourish and not fall back into old exercise patterns are the ones who have higher likelihood of succeeding in treatment and moving towards full recovery, where if someone just leaves treatment, starts back into their old exercise 
routine, which is usually a major trigger that can increase chances of relapse and keep that person stuck. So this is just the tip of the iceberg on why exercise can sometimes be a problem when you are recovering from an eating disorder. I wanted to start with that because I think many of you might be wondering why people are asked to pause the exercise. Okay, so let's keep going. Is it okay to exercise in eating disorder recovery? Again, I'm going to say that depends on your specific eating disorder and what your team decides. If you relate to what I'm about to say, I really want you to consider stopping exercise temporarily to focus on healing your relationship with food and eating regularly and enough first. Excessive exercise is seen as an eating disorder behavior and it needs to be treated as such. So we don't encourage you to use your behaviors in eating disorder recovery world. We want you to find healthier ways to cope with your uncomfortable emotions. So using excessive exercise to cope with discomfort is not something we want you to continue doing. I also want to say, I've shared this in a podcast before, that excessive exercise is a form of purging. So many people don't realize that. Okay, so how do you know when your exercise or movement is disordered or joyful? Here are just some ideas for you to think about. Maybe you're not sure if your movement is coming from a disordered place or a healed place. So I want you to check in with yourself and ask, what is your motivation for exercise to begin with? For folks who are disordered, I typically hear that their motivations are something related to weight loss, appearance, perhaps exercise is what gives them permission to eat. It helps them with numbing their emotions or avoiding their emotions. Usually, Disordered movement is seen as someone's only coping skill, right? Like, oh no, but it decreases my anxiety. It's the only thing that works. Perhaps you're motivated by your attachment to numbers or the motivation to exercise is more like a form of punishment. And usually your motivation to exercise comes from a place of fear and body disrespect. So if you're exercising and all of these things are your reasons for doing the exercise, that's most likely disordered exercise. In fact, I'm going to say it is disordered exercise, where when you have a healed relationship with exercise, exercise feels fun, joyful. Usually it can be social. You feel good in your body. You exercise to feel stronger and more energized. Maybe you exercise to just get outside, or maybe you're exercising to connect with yourself and to connect to your body. And usually exercise comes from a place of self-love and body respect. So if that's how you relate to exercise, perhaps you don't have a disordered relationship to it. I know that I had a very disordered relationship with exercise in the past. I would do workouts with no food before or after. I would basically work out even when I didn't want to or when I was sick 
or when I was tired and I wasn't respecting my body at all. And now when I work out, it's really coming from a place of fun and joy. Like I said, I love workouts that involve music. So I'm there for the music. I'm there for the socializing. I'm always working out in groups and it's just coming from a place of body respect. I'm never pushing myself too far or not nourishing myself or hydrating. Nourishment, hydration are part of the plan always, and it feels really positive for me. Okay, so here are some signs and symptoms of disordered exercise. First of all, everything is connected to numbers. So you are tracking all the things, steps, calories, times, distance. Also, you might even be exercising when conditions are bad. So for instance, maybe it has terrible weather outside, like you're running in tornado warnings, or maybe you're sick, or maybe you're injured and you keep re-injuring yourself. Other signs that you have a disordered relationship with exercise are you know, not eating or nourishing before, during, or after the workout. Maybe it's a very emotional experience for you. So if you miss a workout, you feel guilt, panic, or anxiety. And finally, you are forced to miss social events because you need to exercise. These are all signs that something is wrong with your relationship with movement. Also, you know, I've shared this in another episode in the past, but a huge indicator that you are stuck and exercise is keeping you stuck is that your recovery team is asking you to stop exercising for now and you keep doing it. Or when your team brings up the idea of stopping exercise or cutting down, you start to feel defensive and angry. I'm guessing some of you are annoyed by this episode already because the idea of letting go of exercise is scary. Another sign that your relationship to exercise needs to be healed is that you don't even enjoy doing it and it feels like a chore, but somehow you force yourself to all the time. Another one is that you eat less on the days you don't work out because you feel like you need to earn your food. So again, it's tied to permission. And a big doozy, which is a huge indicator that there is something wrong in your life is that you are doing it secretly and keeping it hidden. I know there are so many people who will do excessive walking up and down their stairs or around the house or exercise when their significant other isn't home. If you're doing it secretly, it's disordered because there is something you know deep down inside you shouldn't be doing because it's not safe for your recovery at the moment. Okay, so here are my eight ways to immediately start healing your relationship with movement. And honestly, I want you to just reflect on these eight things. And if you can, choose one or two of them for you to try at home this week. Some of the changes can be made pretty simply if you set goals around them. Okay, so like I said, this is the main one is try to slowly cut back on the movement you're doing at the moment. So the general rule of thumb is start incorporating more rest days and 
peel back the exercise so that there's less intensity for shorter duration. And of course, depending on what your team wants for you, you might want to cut back all the way. But an example of this is if you're running for one hour per day, maybe challenge yourself to cut down to 30 minutes daily with an additional snack after the workout, and then continue cutting down from there, right? So we're not saying you have to stop exercise suddenly. It might be easier for you to take baby steps to getting to a place where you're not harming your body anymore and you're actually not moving an excessive amount. So you can easily work with your team to make these changes manageable and over time. So I want you to ask yourself, how can I do less exercise this week? What do I feel comfortable with? Okay, the second one is I want you to stop obsessing over the numbers. And I think this is probably the easiest one you can do even while you're listening to this episode. I want you to take a moment to permanently delete your health and tracking apps off your phone. So these are apps like MyFitnessPal or the health app on your iPhone. These are the step trackers, the food trackers. I really want you to stop tracking everything right now. You're not going to miss it. I mean, there's going to be a part of you that feels super uncomfortable at first, but I promise you, you're going to be so grateful to have that brain space back. I also encourage you to stop wearing your Apple Watch and make sure you're no longer tracking your things like steps or distance walked or time active during the day. And finally, another thing you can do today is get rid of your scale. So you could throw it out, you could do a nice scale smashing, which can be extremely empowering, or you can give your scale to someone you trust because maybe you spent a lot of money on it and you don't want to like totally throw it out yet. That's fine. But you can also just give it to someone you trust so that they hide it from you and you don't have access to it. So again, baby steps is the key. You can work with your team to set goals around these things. But the main one is, if you feel resistance to this, is start observing how the numbers make you feel day to day. What emotions are attached to knowing these numbers? I remember when I used to weigh myself every day, it was a dreadful experience because it honestly felt like it dictated how good or bad my day was going to go. I was looking outside of myself to know how to feel, and that honestly sucks. (laughs) I did not like stepping on the scale and feeling like my day was ruined because I didn't like the number on there, right? All of these numbers make your day an emotional roller coaster, and I don't want you to experience that anymore. So if you have the courage, I ask you to stop obsessing over the numbers and do something small so that you can claim that brain space and that emotional space back. I promise you that in the long run, 
recovery is a lot easier when you don't know these numbers. All right, the third thing you can do to start healing your relationship with exercise is to swap vigorous exercise. So I'm thinking like cardio workouts and high intensity workouts for gentle movement. So yoga is a really good example of this. In fact, yoga is scientifically proven to support eating disorder recovery because it increases the mind-body connection. It increases body awareness, attunement to your body, and the ability to listen to your body and honor and respect your body. So I highly recommend yoga. Other forms of gentle movement can be social walking. So I know so many of you might feel isolated and alone right now. And if you can reach out to a friend and plan a gentle walk, go for it. And maybe even a gentle outdoor hike, as long as it's not rigorous. I think that is the key is keeping things gentle. And finally, walking your favorite furry friend is a great example of gentle movement. You're not going to force your dog to excessively exercise with you. That's just not humane, right? Okay. So the fourth thing you can do to start healing your relationship with exercise is to rewrite your definition of health. So when you have an eating disorder, your eating disorder most likely thinks that, quote, health is connected to BMI or weight loss or burning calories. And it's usually a very one-dimensional definition focused on the size of your body and maybe the healthiness of your food and the amount of food you're eating. And that's about it. And I'm saying healthiness in quotes here. Very one-dimensional definition of health. But when you check in with your soul self and your authentic self, there might be other ways to define health. So health encompasses so much more than your body size and the purity and, quote, wholeness and greenness of the food you're eating, right? Health can look like environmental health, social and relational health, financial health, emotional health, nourishment, spirituality, even self-actualization. Health encompasses so much more than what your eating disorder tells you it does. So I want you to challenge and find evidence against your eating disorder's definition of, quote, health, and start to check in with your authentic self and ask yourself, what does health truly mean to me? And I know one thing your eating disorder loves to ignore, and that is your mental health. And I want you to incorporate that. Remember that your mental and emotional health is part of health. In fact, I personally think that one of the highest forms of health and the peak form of health is inner peace, okay? So I'm not talking about numbness. I'm talking about internal, mental, and emotional peace where you aren't living in a state of emotional pain or suffering, right? You're not always worried or anxious, 
inner peace is a true indicator of health. And I think so much of us overlook that, especially when our eating disorders definition of health is so focused on weight, size, appearance, etc. So please remember that health is so much more than what your eating disorder tells you. And it's important for you to start to rewrite your definition of health so that when you're looking at exercise and your relationship to movement, you are considering, for instance, how this movement is impacting you mentally, right? Or maybe socially or spiritually. If your movement or exercise is making you feel like you're constantly punishing yourself or maybe it's making you obsessive, that's not a healthy state of mind or living. So definitely take time to consider rewriting this definition and owning it for something that encompasses everything that you are and what you want for yourself. The fifth thing that you can do to start healing your relationship with exercise is to Find coping skills that help you cope with the discomfort of not exercising or exercising less, right? So instead of compulsively exercising or feeling uncomfortable and exercising to cope, I want you to find something else to make that experience easier for you. So whatever you find, I want to remind you that Coping skills do not replace the high of working out, right? The coping skills are going to make the discomfort you feel a little bit more tolerable so that you can get through that emotion more easily. I want you to think about what you say to yourself and why you resist not exercising or why you resist rest so much. So, One example that someone might say to themselves is, I just need to move. Like movement makes me feel good. Okay, if that is what you need, I want you to find a coping skill that involves gentle movement or your hands. So like I said, you could try gentle yoga. There is movement there or a gentle short walk. Also, you could do something like knitting or painting or doing a puzzle, sometimes having that cognitive distraction and the physical movement and repetitive motion of your hands can really be a great coping substitute for exercise. Also, if you say to yourself, exercise is the only thing that silences my eating disorder, I want you to find a coping skill that helps fill your brain with new thoughts. So I suggest finding a podcast that inspires you or makes you laugh or calling a friend. I know that I actually used to listen to comedy podcasts when I was stressing out over my old relationship. That would get me in such a better place almost immediately. So I want you to find something that can quiet the eating disorder or help you shift your focus so that you aren't letting your brain be filled with so much noise. And finally, if you go, well, I just need to be productive and resting isn't productive, so I can't tolerate that. Try to find a coping skill that's productive. And again, 
you don't need to be productive to be worthy. I know that's connected to so many of your existences and that's just not true. So as a reminder, you never have to be productive, but I want you to find a coping skill that makes you feel productive that isn't exercise. So this could be something like cooking, baking, organizing, or maybe even gardening. So in general, in order to find the coping skill that helps you the most when it is time to rest, I want you to check in with the resistances you have. Look for something that will meet some of those needs that exercise is giving you. So the need to move or silence the ED or feel productive. I just went over some examples of that. And again, I want to say this, that coping skills do not replace the high of exercise. They are just helping make the discomfort that you feel more tolerable. So when resting brings up anxiety, fear, and panic, a coping skill is used to decrease the intensity of those emotions so you can get through the moment without turning to old behaviors. So something to think about and consider when you are asked to rest or cut back on exercise. Okay, the next and sixth thing that you can do to start healing your relationship with exercise is to incorporate more rest into your day. So really what this involves is listening to your body and what it needs. So if you're exhausted, notice that and listen and give yourself your body what it needs, which is rest. And I want to remind you that I view rest as a productive activity because it helps you to have more energy later so that you can have more focus and perform better when you actually have to. So it's not about always working hard and white knuckling it through the day. It's about being more strategic and smart about the way you are using your energy, right? Like, Are you going to be mindlessly go, 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 go all day and running on an empty battery? Or are you going to let yourself rest and recharge your battery so that you can be better functioning when you need to be, right? It's about working smarter and not harder. So think about rest as something similar to charging your cell phone battery, right? Your cell phone does not work if you don't charge the battery. And if it is only running on low battery, so under 10%, it doesn't even work very well. So many of you are like little cell phone batteries running on 10% charge all day long. You're just not going to be functioning as optimally as a fully charged battery. So remember, rest is productive and it will help you function better when the time comes and you actually need energy. Not to mention, finally, that rest helps heal and repair the body. And after having an eating disorder, we know that your body needs to restore, renourish, and repair. So please start incorporating more rest days and observe the difference in your life. And use the coping skills that we just talked about so that you can 
start to tolerate rest a little. And the more that you do that, the easier it's going to get. Okay, number seven is start to nourish and hydrate before, during, and after your moments of exercise or movement, right? So again, I am not a medical professional and I am not a dietitian. So please talk to your dietitian or medical professional about your nourishment needs when working out so that your exercise can be done safely. If you don't feel comfortable adding another snack into your day to make up for all the burned calories, you're probably not in a healed enough place to be vigorously exercising in the first place. Um, That's my opinion, but at the end of the day, I really want you to know what your dietitian thinks. And if you're nourishing and hydrating before, during, and after, at least you aren't letting that exercise be the reason why you're in such an extreme energy debt. And finally, my last way that you can heal your relationship with exercise is to start to explore joyful movement. And joyful movement is exercise or movement that brings you joy and pleasure and fun. And it's not disordered. It's not strict. It's very relaxed. It's flexible. It's playful. And you might be like, well, I don't really know what brings me joy. So if you're struggling with that, I want you to think about your younger self, the younger you, you as a child. What did you enjoy back in the day? I know I explained on a podcast a few months back that Dan and I explored basketball for the first time, and I was just mind blown by how much fun it was. And it was a really great workout at the moment. This weekend, Dan and I went to a lake that has a dock. I actually worked there as a lifeguard for seven years. And we swam out to the dock and started jumping off the dock like kids, like doing twists and high fives. And it was just so silly and fun. And it was movement and it was joyful. And there was a level of activity there, but fun was the primary motivator. And joy and play was why we were doing this. It wasn't because we needed to, quote, burn all the calories. The exercise was secondary to the joy. And that's what I want you to explore moving forward. Find what brings you joy and try to incorporate that in your life instead of those intense workouts where you feel like it's a chore, like running on the treadmill or going to the gym, you know, there's so much more out there where you can move your body joyfully, have fun, and get some level of exercise in that doesn't feel militant or strict or disordered. All right, folks. So there you have it. Those are my eight ways to start healing your relationship with exercise. Today, I'm going to recap all of those for you really quick. And I hope that you can choose one to try out this week. So these eight ways to heal your relationship with exercise are stop exercise altogether or slowly cut back and set goals with your team related to this. Two is stop obsessing over the numbers. Three is swap vigorous exercise for gentle movement. 
four is rewrite your definition of health according to your authentic self. Five is find coping skills that help you cope with the discomfort of rest. Six is start incorporating more rest into your day. Seven is nourish and hydrate before, during, and after a workout. And finally, start to explore joyful movement and what that looks like for you. So as a reminder, I just want to say that this journey is hard. And I know we focus so much on healing our relationship with food in recovery, but healing your relationship with exercise is also extremely important down this path. I want to remind you that nobody's healing journey is the same. And this topic of healing your relationship to exercise should be very personalized and nuanced to you. And it is a fragile subject because exercise does have so many benefits, but with an eating disorder, those benefits can become almost corrupted because the eating disorder can take exercise and make it so extreme. So remember, this is a difficult subject and it will take a lot of discussion with your team and maybe even some experimenting to find what works for you and your recovery journey. So if exercise is tied to your eating disorder, I really want you to be honest with your team about this. And I do want to remind you that it is possible to heal your relationship with exercise. I know that I was able to heal my relationship with exercise, and now it's at a point of joy and fun, and it's relaxed and not complicated and easy, and it connects me to my body and makes me feel better. And I want that for you. So please start to explore what you want your relationship with exercise to look like and how you want to feel when it comes to exercise down the road. And please let me know if you're able to implement any of these tips after listening to this podcast episode. All right. And I hope you guys have a beautiful rest of your day. Thank you so much for being here and I will catch you next time on the Full and Thriving Podcast. All right, that concludes this week's episode of the Full and Thriving Podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode of the show. When you have a moment, please head on over to Instagram and follow my recovery coaching account at Meg underscore McCabe to stay up to date on everything I'm doing in recovery land. And if you're feeling extra inspired, please send me a direct message to let me know how this podcast has impacted your life. I'd love to hear your feedback. Thanks again for listening and I'll see you next week.